And as we begin now in finishing off chapter 7, we're going to look at again something that I believe every one of us, if we're truly honest, as born-again believers, everyone in this room that is truly born again is going to be able to relate to the struggle that Paul talks about. So let's look at this, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 7, and we're going to read through to the end of the chapter and then kind of come back and and, uh, pull it apart a little bit. But beginning in verse 14, well, actually, let's go back a couple of verses and look. Paul, again, speaking of the law itself, he says in verse 12, the law is holy and righteous and good. Again, that's not the problem. In verse 14, he starts out by saying, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh or carnal. If you have a New King James or King James Version, the word carnal is there. Sold into bondage to sin or literally sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Verse 21, I find that the principle, or literally law, that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will save me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Here we see Paul laying out this fierce, intense, ongoing battle with sin. And just up front, there are, there are some that when they read this, there's some commentators, some theologians, some greatly respected commentators and theologians who believe that either A, Paul is not talking about himself, he's actually speaking outside of himself, speaking of some type of some other person, or he's not talking about his current condition, he's referring to his life before he was saved when he is writing this. And if you've been around Calvary Chapel Surprise for any length of time, you'll understand that the way we approach the Word of God is, what does the Word of God say? We're going to look at the the KISS principle, right? I I default to that all the time, the KISS principle. Keep it simple, saints. We, We look at it, what does the Word of God say? What is it saying? And what it is saying is Paul is talking about himself. Going all the way back to verse 7 of chapter 7, the personal I, me, my is used 47 times. He's not talking about somebody else. He's talking about himself. And 
In verse 14, interestingly enough, it switches from past tense to present tense. He starts using am and is instead of was and did. Paul is speaking about himself in the current state, in the current battle, in the current struggle that Paul, the apostle Paul, was still struggling with, was still dealing with. And I don't know about you when you hear that, what that does to you, but I have to tell you, it, it brings some comfort to me because I still struggle. I still fight. I still battle. And I think it's important that as we begin to look at this together, we need to understand that there's some traits even in this and in the life of Paul that we should hold ourselves up to and, and you know, as a, as a maturing, growing Christian. That we're not like we used to be. Praise the Lord, I'm not the man I used to be. But if we hold ourselves up to the standard that we're supposed to, and that is Jesus Christ, I'm not the man I want to be. I'm not the man that I'm called to be. And that's where Paul is in this, in this struggle. The closer he gets to Jesus Christ, the more he realizes there are still areas in his life that are not Christ-like. And the same is true with me. There are many that, that look at this and, and say, well, this was Paul speaking of his pre-saved self because they can't reconcile this thing that a Christian still struggles and, 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 and fails in their struggle with sin from time to time. There are many people who believe that once you're saved, you don't sin anymore. And the only way that you can come to that conclusion is if you lower the bar. Because there are all things in every one of our lives that are still not Christ-like. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's not speaking to the fact that he still falls deeply into sexual immorality and drunkenness and all of these other things. That's not what he's talking about. We see a man who, who had the externals for a long time. He used to brag and boast of the externals. He said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to the law, blameless. But then he came to this recognition that he talks about in verse 14 that the law is spiritual. It's not physical. It's not a matter of a bunch of do's, do, 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 don't, 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 and I can check those things off. No, it's a spiritual thing. It goes way beyond the physical. It goes to the heart. Jesus said, you've heard it said, that thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, if you harbor hatred in your heart towards someone, you've already committed murder. It's a heart issue. He said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. It's, a, it's done already in your heart. It's a spiritual thing. And Paul, we looked at that last week. He came to it when the law, and he finally held it up, and he looked at it, and he realized all this coveting that he had within himself. And he's like, oh, my goodness. I had everything checked off, but then I realized in my heart, I'm still coveting. I'm still doing this. There are things in my heart that are, still, that are still a problem. And now as he's continued to move on, there's still things in my life that are not Christ-like, and I want it to be. I want every aspect of my life to be just like Jesus. Guys, bottom line, anything, anything in our lives that is not Christ-like is sin. Now, you might not like it that plain and simple, but that's the truth. Anything in our lives that is not Christ-like is sin. 
And Paul, as he's wrestling with this, we can even see this as we look at it. Perhaps you've even heard this before or seen it before, but it's interesting the way Paul looks at himself. And if we look at it in the timeline as to when he wrote these specific letters, he wrote 1 Corinthians before he wrote Ephesians, and he wrote Ephesians before he wrote 1 Timothy. In 1 Corinthians, he wrote, I am the least of the apostles. When he compared himself to the rest of the apostles, he said, I'm the least of them. As a matter of fact, I'm not, I shouldn't even be considered an apostle. That's, that's the humble state he was in then. But later, he wrote Ephesians later, and he said, I'm the least of the saints. No longer the apostles, but the saints, other, other Christians. Well, the, towards the end of his life, the, one of the last letters he wrote to Timothy, he said, there's a trustworthy statement, one deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. He considered himself then as the chiefest of sinners. He didn't say I was, he said I am. And again, it wasn't because he had fallen back into all sorts of sexual immorality or anything like that. No, it's the closer he got to Jesus, the more he realized, the more sensitive he became. And as believers, as maturing believers, a mark of that in our lives is that we are more sensitive to sin and we have a greater hatred of sin. I, I, I praise God I'm not the man I used to be. I praise God that there are things that are no longer in my life. But it's amazing to me, the closer I get to Jesus, the more that things, even just a few years ago, didn't bother me, now horrify me. And it, it wasn't a big deal then, but now it's like I can't have anything to do with that. And that is part of this growth process that we move through. And Paul says, as we begin our study, looking at this in verse 14, he says, the law is spiritual. The Greek word pneumatikos comes with it, the, the root there, pneuma, spirit. It, it, it's spiritual. He says, the problem is I'm of flesh or carnal. And there are people that say, well, those two words can't go together, carnal Christian. They, 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 they don't go together. The only time that that word is used that's translated carnal or of flesh, as we have it here, is referring to Christians. It doesn't use that word to refer to non-Christians. That word is a different word, natural man, that we'll, we'll look at in weeks to come as we get into chapter 8. Although I think it's probably a good, let's jump ahead real quick. 1 Corinthians, just a couple pages over. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He references, as we, as we move through this, in chapter 2, he references the natural man who doesn't accept the things of the Spirit. That's in verse 14. But here in chapter 3, notice he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men but as to men of flesh. There's our word again that Paul uses in, in our verse today. Men of flesh, but notice, as to infants in Christ. They're in Christ, but he says they're like infants in Christ, growing in this. They're Christians, but they're still battling in this area. Notice, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able. Verse three, for you are still fleshly. There's that word again. For since there is, note, it's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Notice he says jealousy and strife. He doesn't say sexual immorality and drunkenness. Jealousy and strife. He says that is what, makes you fleshly. That is what is still carnal 
within you. And Paul is saying in this, as he, as he works through this wrestling in our verses in chapter 7, that I'm dealing with this. I have not become perfect. I'm not there yet. And the closer, though, I get to Jesus, the more I I'm, I'm realize that I'm wrestling with these things. And he says, I am of flesh. Notice he does not say I am in the flesh. Because as born-again believers, guys, again, we are not in the flesh. We are in Christ Jesus. We talked of that a couple of weeks ago. Baptized into Christ Jesus, into his death, burial, and resurrection. We are no longer in the flesh. We are in Christ Jesus. We are no longer children of the devil. We are children of God. But the problem is, though we are not in the flesh, the flesh is still in us. That's the issue. We are a new creation in Christ. There's a new administration, but there's a traitor within. To pull off of current events, there's a leaker <laughs> in. And Paul, Paul speaks of that traitor within us as the flesh. It's still, it's still in us. There will be that day again when we put on this corruptible flesh that is still susceptible to sin. That is gone and we will put on incorruptible. But we still have this traitor, the flesh within. Paul says, as we see here in verse 18, nothing good dwells in our flesh. Jesus said in John chapter 6, the flesh profits nothing. So as we begin to unpack this and we look at this together, we understand, again, I'm not in the flesh, but the flesh is in me, and that is the problem. That is the struggle. That is the battle. One commentator put it this way, and I like this. It kind of gives the visual. Flesh furnishes sin, a beachhead from which to operate in a believer's life. The power has been broken of sin in our life. We now have the power in that, but again, the traitor within us. So we see the source of the battle is the fact that the law is spiritual, but we are of flesh. But then we look at the situation of the battle in verses 15 through 23. And Paul repeats himself, kind of coming at it from several different ways. But in a nutshell, our actions don't match our new desires, this new nature within us that's been given to us. And as Paul puts it out there, he's like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. The things I want to do in my new nature, I don't do them. And the things that I don't want to do in my new nature, those things I find myself doing. Now, is there anybody here that can relate to that? <laughs> it says, man, there's things in my, I, I don't want to be dealing with this anymore. That's the old me. Man, I don't want anything to do with that. And I'm not going to be that way anymore, only to wind right back up there. One thing in, in my life that it, the Lord's identified in me and the thing that has it's been for, for a long time, I can be, how shall we say, sarcastic. And, and not in a good way all the time, because there's, you know, there's fun you know, when you're being sarcastic with one another, being a smart aleck, you know, and everybody knows you're joking, and, and, that, and that can even be dangerous at times, but th that's not what I'm talking about. I use it as a weapon. I use it to get in jabs 
and still be able to laugh while I'm poking and jabbing. And as long as I come away at the end on top of the situation, I'm feeling like I won. That's in my flesh. And I hate it. Because I don't want to be that way. I want to represent Jesus. I, I want to put others first. If it means laying down myself, and, and that, that's, that's, that's what I want. And just, as it, just a couple of weeks ago, I had to make a phone call to cancel a subscription that I had with one provider because we had already started with another. And this other provider owed me, I felt, some money from this thing and trying to work this all out. And the last thing I wanted to do was try to be sold the service again and again and again and again and again. I just want my money back. And I want you to tell me what you want me to do with your equipment. That's, that's my call. So I call up. Let me, let, me, let me reflect you in everything that I say and do, Lord Jesus. You know. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Bergatoni. How can I help you today? <laughs> 25 minutes later. I got what I wanted. He felt about that big, and I. <laughs> and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Till I look across the kitchen and I see my wife. I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I hate that in me. It was like for $34, seriously, come on. But something in my flesh goes, that's your $34. No, 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 no. It's not his fault. He just answered a job application. And here I am taking it out on him, and I'm getting all upset. And oh, no, 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 no. I hate that. But that's something, again, that, that traitor within us. I'm not going to listen to gossip anymore at work. Working away and... And then the things I want to do. Oh, those things that I want to do in me, I don't do. Guys, we're going to go up to the men's retreat. I, and I know every time when we, you go to a retreat, you go to a special thing, you go to something like that, you come back and you're super excited. And you're like, man, all right, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to read the word more. I'm going to pray more because, man, I, I, I want to take this with me. So I'm going to set my alarm. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to set my alarm at 5 o'clock so that I can get up an hour and a half early and I can study and I can pray and everything like that. And, okay, great, go to bed. And the alarm goes off. It snooze, 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 snooze. Okay, I'll start tomorrow. And then after you get going and you're running late, it's like, oh, I so wanted to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stop watching this show, and I'm going to spend that time with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, it's back watching the show. And, and is this resonating with anybody? <laughs> it is because we all go through that. Paul actually outlines it for us very well. Look at verse 21. I find then that the principle, literally that word is law. It's the same word used in verse 22 as law. I find then that the law 
that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man. There's not an argument there. In my new inner man, in, I'm a new creation in Christ. I am, yes, amen. That is what I want to be. But, verse 23, I see a different law in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Paul is saying there that there's this battle going on. And, and the two sides are clearly delineated. And the, our flesh, the desires that are in us, oftentimes defeat the law of our mind. The one that we know is, that is, now this is what I am. This is who I am. This is what I want to do. And it's interesting that scientific studies have been done. And I saw this this week, and it's amazing, although it probably won't shock any of us. That they, they hook up these probes into, into the mind, and then they have this experiment that's done where there's two people, and they are told at the beginning of the experiment, there's $10, and the two of them are to divide that $10, but the $10 is given to one of them to make an offer to the other one as to how much they would accept. And the only caveat is, or the only rule is, that there's one offer made and you either accept it or reject it. If it's rejected, neither one of you get anything. Now, you would think, intellectually, our mind would, should tell us that $1 is better than nothing, right? $2 better than nothing. $3 better than nothing. What they found in the study is that when it was offered, $1, 2 or $3, overwhelmingly, the offer was rejected, and they got nothing. That doesn't make any sense intellectually, but think about it from our flesh standpoint. The flesh steps up and saying, what do you think you're doing offering me less than half? Who do you think you are? That you would get seven and I'd get three. No way. Poof. <laughs> and then from the other way, wouldn't it make sense if I'm making the offer? I want to make sure they accept it. I'd rather have one dollar than none, so I'll offer nine. No way. I'm holding the money. That somehow the flesh, the desires, overrule even common sense. And oh, how we, I, I see that playing out even in my, in my own life. My wife and I are one of our favorite restaurants to go to. We go to whenever, whenever we can. We order this thing where it has two meals in one. I guess it's a package thing. And you get one appetizer that you split. And then you each get an entree. And then you, then you get one dessert to split at the end. And of course, we order the sampler as the appetizer. So it's kind of like something of everything. And the bread there, oh my goodness. So we go like three baskets full of it. It's just so good. And because of that, and because I usually eat about two-thirds of the sampler plate by the t and, and everything else, by the time our entrees get there, which is the biggest cut of prime rib they have in the place and everything else, by the time that comes, I'm already full. You think that would stop me? You think that would stop me from every, eating every piece of meat on my plate to the point where I'm sitting there and I, can't, I, I almost can't breathe because my stomach is pushed up on my diaphragm. And I'm like, <laughs> but oh, it's so, and I keep on going. And my mind is saying, stop, idiot. But my flesh is saying, I can't. It's so good. 
And then the dessert comes. And it's not splitting a little thing of pudding. I mean, it is a big piece of cake. And the, the problem is, though, there's ice cream on top. I can't take it home. And my mind is saying, my mind is saying, you can't fit anymore in here. But I keep doing it. Oh, and every time, you can ask her afterwards, every time on the way home, I'm like, honey, why did you let me do this again? I'm miserable. Miserable. Did I say we go there a lot? <laughs> and I know what's going to happen. Paul says, as we look at this here, he goes, that's, the, that's this principle that is here. We need to understand that that is what's going on. There's a war going on. Our inner man agrees. That's stupid. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. Our inner man tells us, you do that, that, don't do that, that's dumb. And then to bring it back to this, what we're talking about, to do the things we don't want to do and not do the things that we do, our inner man says, this pleases God. This is Christ-like. This is the way, walk in it. But our flesh, that traitor, steps up. Now, when Paul speaks of this, he's saying, it's not I, but sin in me. He's not denying culpability, He's not saying like there's this dual personality and he's okay because that's, that's, that's the, the, the devil on his shoulder. That's not what Paul's saying. He's just stating a reality. Fully responsible, taking full responsibility in it, but stating a reality. And we, we lay this out, but we see here the best part about this whole thing is, is that, we can, that we can relate to it. And as I mentioned it, that perhaps we can take some comfort in it, but guys, we cannot get comfortable in it. That's, that, that's huge because a lot of people say, well, see, Paul struggled with it. Uh, everybody struggles with it. And so I'm going to settle in with it. Comfort in the fact that you're not alone because the enemy will try to tell you you're the only one dealing with this. Take comfort in the fact you're not alone, but don't get comfortable there because that is not where we need to be. We're to be growing in our relationship with Christ. And Paul goes on then and he says here, this is, this is what we need to do. Verse 24, he says to come to a point, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Coming to that point, interesting, the original Greek word that is used there goes beyond what we consider wretched. It means worn out, completely wiped out from work or a battle to the point where I can't take another step to fall down in complete exhaustion. And Paul says, that's where I am in this fight. That's where I am in the battle. And how does he get there? How does somebody get to that point of being so worn out? Well, again, I think it's important that we go back. Let's look at this. I'm going to read again, starting in verse 14, and see if we can't figure out what the problem is. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into, the bond, into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. But I do the very thing that I do not want to do. I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Paul has an eye problem. <laughs> and so do you and I. That's the issue. That is how we end up in the state like Paul is, is wretched man that I am, worn out, completely wasted from the fight because it's I that is the focus. 
It's the, the focus is on I. Who is going to rescue me from this situation? Not what? Who is going to rescue me? And I think before we address that, we know the answer, but before we address that, who will rescue me? Notice this from this body of death. Interesting. The picture that is there, this body of death, there was a form of capital punishment that wasn't used greatly back in, in this time, but it was used that the murderer, they actually brought in the victim, they brought in the corpse, and they attached it to the, the murderer. Hand to hand, elbow to elbow, leg to leg, face to face with the corpse. And they took him out and left him out in the desert. And then as that corpse slowly rotted and decayed and the stench and everything would just absorb into him. And that's how he would die. Sorry, it's just about lunchtime. But (laughs) Paul is saying, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And when I think of that illustration, I, again, I hopefully it speak into a couple of us. Do you ever get up and say, you know what? I'm tired of being tied to breath. This, there is this, this side of me and praise God. It's not like it used to be and as big as it used to be, but there, and there, there, the side of me that is, that desires to do the things that are right, that are pleasing to the Lord, that, are, that is Christ-like. There is that side to me, but there's another side of me that just, Well, it stinks, and it's rotting. And and as we all struggle with that, we we all want everybody to see the the good side, right? So we're walking around like this, right? You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Who's going to save us from that? He answers it for us. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, notice he says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's not talking about somebody else, and he's not talking about his past. He says, this is the answer. Jesus Christ, our Lord, right here, right now. Who can set me free? Jesus can. The struggle, the battle, the I issue, that's where we get worn out. That's where we fail. Guys, here's the truth. I can't. I can't. And God never said I could. But Jesus can. And he always said he would. And we need to submit to that. That's where victory comes in this. We've looked at this verse a few times over the last few weeks. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. As born-again believers, guys, we're all here somewhere in this section of chapter 7. The long, it's no longer I, but sin. That I, 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 no longer I, but sin. Guys, that's a cry of defeat. No longer I, but Christ. That's the cry of victory. Christ in us. 
Sanctification, again, is not me imitating Jesus. It is Christ in me. I, I am blessed in my family. My daughter is an unbelievable artist. It just blows me away the things that she'll do. She'll just sit down with a pad of paper, pencil, or watercolor. And she paints oil paintings, watercolors, all of this kind of stuff. It blows me away, everything. Her imagination and her skill, she got none of that from me. <laughs> but if we were to stand next to each other and we'd have an, two easels, two canvases, I had everything exactly like hers, the paintbrushes, the paints, everything. And I were to stand next to her, and as she would do a stroke, I would tr do the same exact. I would follow everything that she did. I guarantee you, at the end of it all, you'd be able to pick out whose is whose. <laughs> you might see a slight resemblance in there somewhere, but that'd be it. That's not what it's about. The only way that I could do as she does what she does would be for her to come inside of me and take complete control. And then I would have to relinquish my control and allow her to do that. And that's what we're talking about. That's what, that's what Paul is saying is who will rescue me. Again, notice it's not what. It's not a process. It's not a plan. It's not a procedure. It's a person. And it's Jesus in us. It is Christ in me, but it also is not Christ instead of me. We see that. Philippians is a perfect picture of this. Philippians chapter 2. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice it's not work for your salvation. That would be working for justification. But working out your salvation, he's speaking of sanctification here. And so that's the problem is we stop right there in our flesh. Work it out with fear and trembling. That's what I'm doing. That's why I'm struggling. The verse doesn't stop there. He says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We are to work out as he works in. We are to have victory in this. If you are here today and you are a born-again believer and you are struggling with a, with a major area of sin in your life, you can have victory today. Today. You can walk out of here victorious today. If you are here today as a born-again believer and you are struggling with what might not be considered from a worldly point of view or in the eyes of, of others as a major thing, but you're dealing with, with whether it's gossip or, or, or jealousy or some other things like that, that is not Christ-like and that is sin, but you can have victory over that today. But it's not a five-step process. It's a who. And it's Jesus. And you can have victory today. Verse 25, it's interesting, and it's not coincidental. It does not end with when he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's not how the verse ends. Notice, he says, so then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the, Lord, the law of God, but on the other, with, with my flesh, the law of sin. The battle goes on. 
You can have victory today, but realize that the battle is going to continue. And you need to keep fighting. Again, that's a good sign. Charles Spurgeon says, dead men don't fight. Fighting means that we're alive. We have this new life. Before, before we're saved, we could care less. We wanted that. We were in it. That was, that's, that was our life. We have a new life. Keep fighting. Keep moving forward. But again, Christ in us. He in us. His power. Now, again, there's no chapter break when Paul writes this. He didn't, this is continuing. That's why I've encouraged you to read 6, 7, and 8 together. Therefore, verse chapter 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And as we move forward from here, this is, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know which service I did, but I, I, it's so hard to teach through this as we do week at a time. I wish right now I could dismiss you for a 10-minute potty and coffee break and then come on back in because chapter 8 is vitally important to what we're talking about right now as it continues. Because as we, the verses that we just looked at, even including who will rest set me free from this body of death, has not mentioned what chapter 8 gets into. The spirit has not been mentioned here. And once we get into chapter 8 in the first 17 verses, the spirit is mentioned 17 times. And we're going to talk then about the battle between the spirit and the flesh and how we have victory ongoing in that little taste for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we fight, we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're going to start looking at that next time. But in the meantime, you can have victory today. It's Christ in you. Christ in you. Again, I don't know where you are in this gambit. No, all of us are, are somewhere in this. And again, take comfort. You're not alone. The enemy, again, will try to tell you, you're alone in this. You're, you're a loser. You're all of this kind of stuff. You are a child of God if you are here today and you are born again. And you're not alone in the fight. But don't get comfortable. Confess it. Surrender it. Yield Total and complete control. Surrender complete control to Christ in your life. Christ directing and guiding your life. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we once again come to this moment where we stand in total awe of you. The King of kings and Lord of lords the creator of all things, our God who is willing to step off your throne in heaven, to become one of us, to put on flesh, to live a sinless, perfect life and then to die in our place so that we can cry out to you. And know, Lord, that you will answer. Know that we can come to you and at any time and not face wrath, but receive your love. If you're here today and you have never taken that step to give your life to Jesus, to trust 
in his completed work on the cross for you. You can have that gift of eternal life today. You can have all of your sin washed away, but it is, it's not a matter of a bunch of steps. It is about surrender. You need to give up and you need to give your life to the Lord. You just go to him in your heart and you say, God, I, I am a sinner. My life is far from pleasing you. But I come to you now and I confess that sin and I turn from it. Jesus, I ask that you would come into my life right now, that you would take control. Wash away my sin. Wash it all away. Lord Jesus, give me your heart. I want to be sensitive to the things that you're sensitive to. I want you to take control. Give me eternal life, God. You're here today and you are struggling with a major area of sin in your life. Confess it. He knows already. Give it, give it over to him. If you're here today and you're struggling with, whether it's gossip, whether it's, whether it's uh, envy, strife, whatever it is, give it to him. God, we thank you that as we come to you, you are the one who rescues us from this body of death. Lord, we do pray that as we grow in our relationship with you and our understanding of who you are, God, give us the sensitivity towards sin, anything that doesn't please you, anything that is not like you. Lord Jesus, we, in our heart, heart of hearts right now, Lord, we yield all control to you. We surrender all to you. Have your way in us that we can walk out of here today in victory. We thank you and we praise you today in your name. Amen. Amen.